0: And Frodo comes back and he's just absolutely like, he's like, I've seen too many people die. I'm never going to see this again. Uh, I do like the jokes,
1: like, man, men will go all the way to the Grey Havens rather than go to therapy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they didn't have therapists in, in Hobbiton. They just had tea and judgment.
1: Um, <laughs> but... So it's, it, is, it is Britain. Okay, yeah, cool. exactly. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome back to Reginald's podcast. Now, you guys may or may not be surprised by this. I was surprised, but once again, Reginald has failed to show up. He is about halfway through a arduous three-month journey to some place called Riven Bell, Riven Pels. I don't know what it's called. Some some holiday destination. He's been going on about. So, yeah, he said it's a deceptively long time to take it to get there. He said, like you know, other people he looked like they got there in a couple of days, but it's taking him an awfully long time. But thankfully. Yeah. Once again, I have had a, a peer, a colleague, a, a YouTuber extraordinaire fill in at the last minute. Everyone, please welcome OSP's Red.
0: Hello! I'm excited What's to you? talk about uh, everything and anything in the general dimension of Lord of the Rings. The parameters Indeed. of this weren't entirely clear.
1: <laughs> Indeed. Well, yes, I was going to say, well, we are today here to talk about a sort of off, a very sort of. Uh, obscure book that not many people may have heard of, uh, The mm-hmm. Fellowship of the Rings. Um, yeah,
0: it's, it's based on like Norse folklore and the Kalevala and like a, a bunch of other It's very derivative when you get right
1: down to it. Yeah, a lot yeah, of. Yeah, uh,
0: after a certain. It's really just stitched together out of a bunch of other really old. Stuff. But you know, there's nothing new under the sun, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah. as I was saying to Red just before we started uh, recording, usually I try and keep relatively focused on the book we're talking about so i say like you well know, maybe we'll talk about sequels a bit later or adaptations and stuff or because of the book we are talking about today i'm going to make no attempt to stay focused because there's just Good. there's a lot to talk about in in so many different things here so why why mm-hmm. fight it uh, exactly but first first digression of the podcast there tends to be a lot of these but already yeah, well, okay. So you've you've covered extensive like Norse mythology, mythology, mythology on on your YouTube channel, and you kept referencing a guy called uh, the guy who probably d- documented a lot of Norse mythology, but probably wasn't the most reliable source. It was like Snorri.
0: Snorri Sturluson. That's not how it's pronounced, as I understand it. Um. Okay. Well, I took a t- book recommendation from uh, Adam, Ludo History, uh, Children of Ash and Elm and I was listening to the audiobook, and the reader uh, will just be like, this was written down by Snorri Sturlson <laughs> and I'm like, mm, okay, that does, that's not how I thought that
1: was pronounced. Oh, Swedish. Well, So many you, ways to roll an R. Because you pronounced it like that, I kept getting conf- I thought you were just insulting the guy. I thought you were saying <sighs> his name's, I thought you were just you only knew his surname and Snorri yeah, was just your Snarls. way to... From- <laughs> yeah, you thought Yeah, I thought you were just saying he was a boring historian. I was like, oh, I mean, good and- old Snorri, Snorri the boring historian. Sadly no,
0: that's actually his name, uh, albeit pronounced in a way that my mouth cannot do. <laughs> um, but it's always fun though, like especially because I think most of us are first exposed to Lord of the Rings uh, before we are exposed to classic North mytholo- Norse mythology, especially you know the actual Prose prosetta. Because that means that when you're just reading through it, you keep getting jump-scared by stuff, where you're like, hey, wait a second, this list of dwarf names is weirdly familiar. <laughs>
1: Boing, gloing, oi, wait a second. Yeah.
0: What's the... What's going on here? Um, Talking, you hack. And, <laughs> and it's even funnier when it goes, like, in reverse, because, um... I was one of those people who took a very long time to read through the Silmarillion. So when I was going through that, I was like, this is just the Norse gods again, but in a different font. What are you doing, Tolkien? It's like, oh, this guy was a big, boisterous fighter who fought the big monsters. I wonder who that's (laughs) Thor based on. I don't know. It's so weird.
1: Oh, jeez. Well, I mean, it's better than getting your history knowledge from Marvel, so...
0: Yeah, marginally. Although the number of times I've been like, I'm going to look up this obscure mythological figure I've just ran into and like the first result is like Wikipedia page, like maybe three sentences. Second result, the Marvel wiki. They've shown up Mm -hmm. there somewhere.
1: Yeah, they know because Marvel's yeah. been around for what sixty years, and they've something like that. They've exhausted a lot of options at this point. Yeah.
0: It's like I want to find a reference for Princess Iron Fan and Red Boy. You know, the the characters from Journey to the West. There are so many adaptations. Oh, hello, MarvelWiki.fandom.com.
1: <laughs> Why are you here too? Well, as I'm given to understand it, you are now one of the greatest sources for people looking to like adapt those books and whatnot now. Well, so that's, that's that's a responsibility. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> I you think are, I started for, funs and, for for fun and shits and gigs when I was in yeah. the vicinity of seventeen. At and
1: least in Western media, you are now a part of the journey to the West mythos. That's Ooh. that's wild.
0: That is pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> well,
1: yes. Yeah. yeah, so, yeah. Uh, we are so yes, we are here to talk about the Fellowship of the Ring, um, specifically, possibly specifically, we are uh, we both um, listened to the Andy Circus audiobook version of it.
0: Yep, which that's the stuff
1: shockingly relaxing. Like, that man has great potential for ASMR if he ever puts his mind to it. Like...
0: I Yeah. Um, my first exposure to Andy Serkis' audiobook skills was in this version of The Hobbit, um, which is so fun because you almost forget who he is for a while, because mm-hmm. he's just so good at doing all the dwarf voices and his Bilbo is very, like, country aristocrat, and then he gets to, like, chapter whatever riddles in the dark. And you're like, like oh, he sounds happy. Oh, no! Yep. (laughs) Like, he puts some stank on the Gollum voice in these things. He goes bananas.
1: Well, I I used to joke when I was told that this was coming out. I was like, oh, I wonder which character he's going to be best at.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Weirdly, he's good at all of them, but like, yeah
1: but like his natural reading voice because when he's not being golem he's he sort of t- and then gandalf took the thing down i was like oh my andy yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's very soothing um mm-hmm. and it makes sense because his whole career basically he's been doing like mocap but mocap is basically voice acting with extra steps you're not <laughs> wrong yeah it, it's yeah. like
1: it, somehow it is both voice acting but also very physical acting it's everything mm-hmm. except being on the screen although he does he has been getting a lot more roles like you know he's been he's been claw now he's been um I forget his name, but that, that sort of that role that everyone really glommed onto in uh, Star Wars. Oh, yeah, he
0: was in Andor. He was Andor. Um, thank you. That's a, he, yeah. He yeah, in a, the Prison Break arc. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah, and he, he was. Who else was he recently? I remember seeing him in. Um, oh, I lost it. Um, but he has. He's earned the right to use his own face at this point. He's just too good. Yeah.
1: Um, nice. Seems like a decent dude as well, which is always nice. Yeah, yeah, that's not, always fun. Not guaranteed um, in this day and age.
0: <laughs> Never guaranteed. It's just easier to find out now because Twitter. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the anti-circus audiobook versions, I, I feel like they're kind of, at this point, the definitive way to experience Lord of the Rings because... Um, Bold. Well, because the thing is, the movies are good, but they do have, uh, I believe, a, a certain peer of yours referred to it as a forced page conflict. Um <laughs> Peter Jackson uh, would include random, like, conflict between characters in parts of the plot that he thought was slow in the movie. So huh. it's like, oh, Sam and Frodo have had a little breakup on the mountain, and now Sam is leaving, or like... Um, yeah.
1: Wh- yeah. Which peer was this? Is
0: a Lindsay Ellisism that I remember. Oh. Uh, Forced-Peege conflict, because it just stuck in my brain.
1: Gotcha. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's
0: such a funny sound. That um, is P-ge. P-ge, yeah,
1: enough, huh? uh,
0: But, so, uh, you know, as a fan of things that are action-packed and uh, intense, the movies are fun for me. But I think mm-hmm. in terms of, like, quality of writing overall, uh, the books really benefit from time and the ability to breathe. Uh, yeah. Because, boy, howdy, do they breathe. <laughs> My yeah. God.
1: I mean, you don't... That That is one of the things, like, I, you know, I, I've covered bits of... Uh, Lord of the Rings in Lost Adaptation, but not like, you know, as much, I haven't done a full episode on it, but like mm-hmm. movies don't necessarily, you don't necessarily want them to breathe in the same way. That is one of the things of adaptation yeah. in this case, but yes, it's, yeah the you, it's very much like a, um, it's a, it's a action story in the film. It's very much like a whole fucking world in yeah, the, uh, it's, in the books.
0: It's a pacing consideration that, um, Obviously, like, there is only so much you can do when you're adapting something as lengthy and wordy and time-consuming as the books. There are parts of it that I feel like you actually can't translate particularly well. But I think that some of them are some of the most impactful parts of the storytelling, which is this this odd feeling of inevitability. And, like, this is something that struck me uh, when I was listening through Fellowship, uh, which is good because that's allegedly what we're talking about, um, <laughs> with um, – uh, because Frodo leaving the Shire is a slow... It's like there's a decade time skip in the middle. Sef- and
1: 17 you... years between when yeah. Gandalf left. And Gandalf came back a few times, but his whole is-it-secret-is-it-safe moment was 17 years later.
0: Oh, I thought that was only 10. Jeez. Um, but, like, you know, they can kind of get away with it. Hobbits don't really age very much. He was oh, he had the ring well, at Frodo that point. Frodo in particular so...
1: didn't because he had the yeah. ring at that point. But yeah. Exactly.
0: Because but that's one way of the things... Was... Sorry, go on. Well, the way it looks in the movie, it's, it's kind of like Gandalf leaves, does a really quick research speed run, comes back yeah. in a panic. That could have been next week for all we know.
1: Yes, um, you, you just have to calculate how long it takes to gallop to Minas Tirith on Shadowfax or whichever <laughs> horse you had at the time. Uh, might
0: not have been Shadowfax yet. No, i you know, um, got
1: Shadowfax after becoming became Gandalf the, the white.
0: Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. To
1: be color-coordinated, of course. Exactly. Um,
0: and the, there were a couple points in Fellowship where I was like, it's actually more impactful knowing that... That they don't have to rush at breakneck speed because it makes the threat of the ring feel more inevitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in that first one, it's like you have the ring, you're keeping it secret, you're keeping it safe. But if you keep it here, the danger is just gonna come here anyway. And then mm-hmm. when they get to Rivendell, you know, after that mad dash and Frodo gets like the Morgul wound and all that stuff, and they're like, we're in Rivendell, everything's okay, and they're like hanging out and they can do all the exploring they want and view all the beautiful rivers and valleys and stuff like mm-hmm. that, and then you know, they can take all the time they want, but at some point they have to leave and there's no getting around that. And that's very different from the pace of the movies, which is like now, this, the time is now, we have to go, 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 the adventure is going. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But like, there's, oh, I, I keep like sending myself off on digressions because there's so much in these books. Um, like so
1: I I prepared, I was like, <laughs> this is just what this episode's going to be.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just random brownie in motion going on here. But um, there was a moment in the books that doesn't I think, get translated into the movies because it's part of the sort of slow journey out of the Shire,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: where when they're out in the woods one of those nights, uh, they just see elves. And up until yep. this point, yeah, Sam's like only contribution has been like, oh, you know, the only thing I'm really hoping from this journey is to get to see some elves, Master Frodo. And then they see elves. and He's like, all right, cool. I'm good. Time to do the actual hero's journey now. Yep. <laughs> and it's like well, that,
1: that, there's that scene in the movie, but it doesn't.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You don't really get him being same. like, yeah. wow. Just,
1: just how much frat, like Sam re- regrets coming on the quest is is also not like it is funny. Just like it's like, well, I'd never give up. I'd never abandoned Mr. Frodo, but fuck me, I'm so I am so ready to go home.
0: <laughs> yeah, every time he's just like, oh, I'd, I'd hate to leave my pots and pans. You know, I know we're on the very yeah. slopes of Mount Doom itself, but you know, it feels like giving up. Um, but I, I think that there's like this this really interesting. Part of the the standard hero's journey story cycle that kind of gets glossed over in the way that it's traditionally laid out, because you get like refusal of the call, and then, like mm-hmm. the, you get narratively punished for the refusal of the call, and then it's like okay, fine, we got to cross the threshold, yada yada. But there is kind of an important point in a lot of stories where the character is like, okay. I'll do this part of the plot. I want to accomplish goal A. The overarching plot is goal B. It's much more important. But all I'm in for is goal A. And there's this important thing that happens in a lot of stories where they give that character goal A. They give them the thing that they want. Just to be like, here, okay, are you out of the plot or are you going to actually do the main thing now? Mm -hmm. And with Sam, very early on, it's like all he wants is to see elves. And if they kept that as like a carrot on a stick in front of him, it would have impeded how noble he is as a character. It would have made it seem like he's just in it for the tourism. So instead, sure. they give it to him right out the gate. They're yeah. like, elves, boom.
1: Straight away, and then elves, he's like, great. Sam's bucket list is complete. But yeah, now he, so now, now he's, he's just, just in it for, it for Frodo.
0: Exactly, and I think that that's a really powerful moment that you just don't really get in the movies. And, like, mm-hmm. it's a little bit of planting and payoff that's just extracted because you don't get... I think you get Sam being like, wow, elves are so cool, but you don't really get him being like, all I want from this journey is to see elves. I think that would be really nifty. Um... And instead he's just like, I'm just here for Frodo, man. Somebody needs to be here for Frodo. (laughs) You -hmm. also miss the part of, like, Merry and Pippin being like, Frodo spent, like, seven years painstakingly arranging all of his finances and selling Bag End. Obviously something is up and we're going to be in on it. They're
1: not, uh, like, they're lovable idiots in the film. They're not quite as, they have their moments in the books, but they're not dumb. No. They, they see the writing on the wall and they're just like yeah no we're coming with you by the way we're like yeah. and it's like how did you know it's like they'll just look at sam and he's like sorry <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> like, like we're,
0: we're smart and we're friends and we care about you frodo and yeah. you're not going to do this alone it's like, oh. movie, it's like oh whereas in the movie it's like oh they literally just got dragged into the yeah plot they, literally, and they out went out scrumping
1: and just never came home they went out to like steal <laughs> vegetables and then went yeah. on the biggest most important quest of the, the second age
0: yeah i think overall most of the changes from the book to the movie are things that i think are kind of a shame the only one that i think that it is was unironically a good choice is um uh pippin being the one to save faramir from the funeral pyre because in the book that's some other guy it's just mm. it, it's, it's there's just a lot other... of
1: that's just some other guy like okay uh, so uh, air yeah. was in helm's deep the guy who was who came riding to the rescue was just some guy who yeah, never that's the, yeah uh gandalf just went off to find some guy and come back uh, or like
0: swapping out uh, Glorfindel I want to say for uh, Arwen which I thought was cool
1: makes more sense because yes Mm -hmm. we'd love to have a woman somewhere in this story (laughs)
0: you know just as a treat Um, but yeah there, there was a lot of like plot streamlining and giving characters like this was originally some other dude but now it's this main character. And with the case of Pippin, like, in the books, Merry gets his big hero moment, uh, you know, helping take down the Witch King of Angmar. So Mm -hmm. Pippin, like, to, like, balance it out, he just gets a random troll to fight uh, in the final battle, and he gets, like, squished under it, and it's like, oh, no. Whereas in the movies, they were just like, he gets to pull Faramir off the funeral pyre instead of some other guy. That's nice and heroic of him. (laughs) Whereas in the books... He just spent so much time running around like, someone needs to save Faramir from this man. If only I had a sword or something. If only I
1: was more than three feet tall.
0: Uh, I mean, he's, he's had the end draft at that oh, point. What's his point. excuse?
1: Yeah. No, he's uh. just not used to being a, a top, I think, is the problem. but. Uh.
0: <laughs> 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 yeah, probably but, not. <laughs>
1: yeah. But uh, uh. I, I saw this funny meme the other day that was just a screenshot. And it's like, hey, do you all guys notice that Gandalf paused for like a full second before saving him from the fire, pivoting from the fire.
0: It's <laughs> uh, like, mm, it would just solve like, a could, lot of though. problems. I
1: could just leave him.
0: <laughs> Nobody would know.
1: Mm, nah. <laughs> oh no, I, know. I tried, but he burnt up. No more uh, You know to.
0: how peregrine Duke was. It's you know. how he wanted
1: to go, being stupid and annoying.
0: <laughs> he saw a deadly threat and just couldn't wait to mash his face in it. Anyway. <laughs>
1: oh gosh Faramir got out though he's cool
0: he's fine I'm honestly a lot of things I really liked in the books were like Faramir centric because I feel like the movies they don't do him dirty but they kind of have to like downplay him a little bit because they run into a crucial well, they, pacing problem they uh, play up
1: how tempted he was to take the ring so they sort right. of made him like Boromir 2.0 which was I mean the original Faramir was just like oh I could but no fuck it uh, yeah. Which sort of played up the the source of it's not strong men that can resist the ring; it's it's good men. Or you know, um, mm-hmm. so whereas Boromir was was so obsessed with with being a leader and being in charge and defending Gondor and using power for you know, yeah. for his aims is why he was so much more susceptible to Faramir, who just wanted to do good.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that. Um- they sort of ran into a pacing problem in the movies, which is that at the end of two towers in the books, uh, Frodo and Sam are dealing with the Shelob thing, um, mm-hmm. and Frodo gets got, and then he gets taken into an orc tower, and that's the end of the book. And it's, it's again, it's, it's a really interesting thing that just doesn't translate to the way the movies are paced, because the entire first half of Return of the King is just like the Gondor and Rohan stuff. We don't know anything about Sam and Frodo or what they're up to. Last we heard, like, Frodo's been poisoned and captured by orcs, and Sam is trying to figure out how to rescue him. And then, boom, we cut away, we do all the other shit, up to the point of, like, holy shit, the eagles are coming, and then cut away. What have Sam and Frodo yep. been up to this whole time? Yeah,
1: because they go past the point where the guard, the guy at the gate, the ambassador guy, shows the, yeah, them the that they've got their sorrow. shit, and it's like, yeah. so it's way more possible that they are dead as fuck. Yeah.
0: And it's actually a very, like, clever bit of writing, because you, the reader, if you don't know what's going on, you're like, oh no, they got Frodo and Sam! He just showed off Frodo's mithril shirt and Sam's sword! But if you've been paying attention, you might be like, "Mm, hold on. Sam left his sword with Frodo when he thought he was dead. He took Mm -hmm. Sting. So Sam had Sting last we checked, and if you're really paying attention, when the mouth of Sauron starts gloating, he's like, Yes, that's right, our prisoner will experience the worst of torments. And it's like, prisoner singular? Hold on, back up. Because yep. uh, that still means, like, Sam's still an a unknown factor. They don't actually know what's going on. Um, but if you're just reading through it linearly, you're like, Oh, fuck, they got my little guys. No. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, so
1: that's that's not something they could really recreate with, with the kind of pacing you'd expect from a film. Uh, no,
0: it, it would be almost intolerable. So instead they add that little cul-de-sac where it's like, nah, Faramir decided to capture them a little bit and take yeah. them from point A to point B, and then after that action set piece, they can spend the entire first half of Return of the King slowly getting to where they should have been at the end of Two Towers. Yeah, um,
1: Faramir pops in, is, is abusive to Gollum. <laughs> um,
0: well, that part's in the book, but it's, well, it's a yeah. much more minor, like... Ugh, man. There are so many good things about uh, those books. I think the thing that I was most surprised by, because I just fully had forgotten about, and it's not in the movies, is when Denethor reveals that he's had a Palantir this whole time and has been using it, and that's part of why he's such a nutcase. Um, Because he, like... So he spends the whole of, um, I want to say, Two Towers being like, ah, yes, you know, I, I know many things, Gandalf, yeah. Stormcrow, and I, I'm kind of a piece of shit to Faramir. I, I suck a lot as a dad, but, you know, I, I know a lot of stuff, and I constantly wear my armor and sword under this cloak, and it's like, that's pretty cool. Um, and then in his big moment... Uh, he's like, you know why I know you're a lying piece of shit, Gandalf? Because I've got this! And he pulls out a Palantir, and Gandalf is like, oh, you idiot. You Come on,
1: man. Y- you know, okay, I misheard you at first. I thought you said, like, a palaquin. I was like, so it gets carried around. What's the big deal? <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. The, the, plot but, yeah, no, the, the crystal ball yeah.
1: that lets you see, talk to exactly. someone, and shit. Yeah. Well,
0: because they've already established, like, at a few intervals, like, Pippin staring into that thing was horrible because uh, Sauron was like, oh, sweet. Let me just probe your brain for information yeah. as long as you're holding this thing. And, it's like, uh,
1: halfling has the ring. This is a halfling that wants to, like, beef with me, Go. It's
0: like, okay, cool. Where are you hiding the ring? <laughs> Pippin's yeah. like, oh, no. And then you get um, Aragorn at one point before the Paths of the Dead thing. He shows up and everyone's like, dude, you look like shit, what happened? And he's like, sorry, I spent the last ten hours psychically wrestling with the Palantir yep. to try and tell... I was a, tell... a rap
1: battle with fucking Sauron <laughs> over this, yeah, this, this, this thing.
0: I was trying to tell Sauron to go fuck himself and I think I pulled it off, but man, it was draining. And then Denethor's like, that's right, I have mastered the Palantir, I know all things, and it's like, you definitely don't, man. My dude, yeah. He's mm-hmm. definitely just been showing you what he wants you to see to make you think that it's hopeless. This is basic evil villain stuff, but um... But it's a big moment because in the the movies, he's just kind of a horrible piece of shit. And it's not really like he he doesn't really come across as a competent leader. And the thing Mm. is, in the books, he doesn't really come across as a competent leader either. But he comes across as like very dedicated to it. He's at least
1: functional because like the Denifor you see in the films, like how has he lasted 10 minutes (laughs) ruling the way he does?
0: Yeah, I think that the the Denethor we get in the books is a much more complicated grieving man because like mm-hmm. the the death of Boromir obviously shook him a lot but like he talks a lot about like you know I I wear my armor and weapons at all times because otherwise I might grow too weak to do so. And it's like, okay, this man is dedicated. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't trust in kings. In fact, the thing with the Palantir is he's like, I know that you brought that fucking stinky ranger man into usurp me, Gandalf. And it's like, he's the king, man. I don't care if he's stinky. He is actually the king, though. This is like your one job.
1: Yeah. No, yeah, no. I mean... The, what I mean, my, my close personal friend George R.R. Martin did sort of break <laughs> down the whole what is a rightful king? The rightful king is the mm. guy whose ass is on the throne, really, and can keep it on there. So I I do yeah. understand Dedefors like, you know what? My family's been kind of holding this shit together for a couple of hundred thousand, or well, like a thousand years or so? I'll,
0: Something like that. It's so, been a I, hot minute.
1: Was Isildur the last guy, or did his descendants hang around for a bit?
0: Like, uh, Isildur was the last king, but uh, that was like directly post Numenor because Isildur's yeah. like family like escaped from Numenor so Really? It
1: was that, I that think, the death destruction of Numenor and the, the 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 last alliance was that close to each other.
0: If I recall my Silmarillion incorrectly, uh there is also the possibility that it's a different Isildur. but I think that was right. Uh gotcha. I think that Isildur like they escaped from Numenor with like a cutting of the tree and stuff like that. Um, I,
1: I thought that was his ancestor cuz he well, Isildur wasn't even because his father was king when you know, the guy got smooshed by Sauron in that yeah, battle. Yeah,
0: the thing is, it was Isildur and his family who escaped. Okay, um, okay. well, that was, was quite like a th-
1: recent thing, then. If
0: I recall correctly, it was like... There had been a usurpation in Numenor, where it was like, this line should have gone to the daughter, but instead her, like, cousin took the the oh, okay. crown and scepter, and she dies horribly when Numenor sinks even though she was actually completely fine and good and didn't deserve it because sometimes the Valar yeah. are just like that. Um, yeah,
1: well, as we know from the Rings of Power, Numenor was this sort of uh, pseudo-Roman society that's kind of interested in Trumpian politics. So that's... Yeah,
0: well, in the last days uh, of Numenor, it was getting pretty shitty but, like, it used to be a nice place to live. they on the street um, saying, the
1: elves will come and take our jobs because they don't I mean, sleep and that's our... Literally,
0: <laughs> literally, but, yeah. Um, I just thought it made Denethor significantly more interesting for him to actually be kind of this, like, complicated. Uh, he sucks, but, like, he really thinks he's the hero of his own story. He mm-hmm. thinks he's he's in the middle of, like, a political... He probably thinks he's in Game of Thrones and everyone else is like, sorry, dude, this actually no, this... is a one true King Arthuriana situation. Yeah, you, you are not You may not, not find out Aragorn's special.
1: tax policy, but damn right, he's damn well going to be the king. You yeah.
0: Know? Aragorn is just fundamentally at every turn proven to be a fundamentally decent king. But I also like how... Tolkien kind of sidesteps the whole divine right of kings thing pretty handily by having a lot of Aragorn's ancestors suck and, like, Mm. not actually be good because it's not like Aragorn's line is what makes him a good king. It's like Aragorn is the one your king returned, but also he's a really fucking
1: good dude. Decent Um, dude, yeah. I do do love, again, we're talking about adaptation ones. I do love how much more, like, up for being king he was in the books. It was yeah. like, in the films, he was like, oh, man, I don't want to do this. I'm just I'm just a ranger, man. I was like, no, Aragorn, you got to do this. It's your destiny. Whereas in it's the book, he's just like, history. I'm going to be king soon. I'm going to yeah. fuck some shit up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but I also like that Aragorn at all times is kind of like down for even the messy parts of kingship. Because mm-hmm. there's this bit in the in the Houses of Healing that I don't think made it into the movies at all. Like after everyone's gotten their ass beat fighting the Witch King um, and Faramir's in a coma and Eowyn's in a coma and Aragorn rocks up and he's like, I need King's foil. I need it right now. And there's, there's like a comic relief segment with this like herb woman who's like, oh, King's has got no medicinal properties. We don't keep it around, but I remember a funny story about it. And he's like, that's so nice, ma'am. Please, for the love of yeah. God, just what find me some
1: King's He sends this kid out to find it afterwards. He's like, I think I found some. It's really old, but will it work? I'm so, yeah. I'm so <laughs> frazzled.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, and it's great because, honestly, that scene is just incredible for a lot of reasons, including the part where Faramir is like, My lord, you called me. I come. And it's like, "Ah, oh, these guys are so— Like, this is a king and steward relationship that I want to see! Mm-hmm. Um but then afterwards, there's a little note where it's like, and then everyone in the city was like, please, my king, my family is injured. Won't you come and use your magic healing touch on them? And he does for every single one of them. And then he slips away into the night after they're all done. And they're like, where'd the king go? We missed the king. <laughs> and he's like, sorry, I have a final battle to fight. I'll be back hopefully be if back. I don't die.
1: <laughs> that, is, no, that is some great A king. You just fucking Yeah, that's exactly every- it. Yeah, heal every motherfucker in your city. It's like, all right, now to save the world,
0: Aragorn away! <laughs> so, <laughs> ta-da! He's gone as quickly as he arrived. Or was <laughs> he ever really there?
1: But there was uh, there I- was a sentry who uh killed some. I think he was trying to stop Faramir from getting burnt or something. He did straight yep. up kill someone. And mm-hmm. Aragorn's just like, "You did a good job, buddy, but I gotta banish you because you did do a murder." Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I
0: think his name is Baragond, but I might be missing. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, he's like. He was a noble uh, and loyal knight of Gondor, and then when Denethor started going off the rails, he was like, ah, shit, okay. And Pippin went to get him for help, mm-hmm. and in the process of trying to get him, some of the guards were like, Denethor ordered us to guard this door, so we're not letting you in, and he had to kill one of them. And then he was like, ah, I, I slew my kin, this, this sucks, and then Aragorn was like, that does suck, so I'm banishing you. Yep. but it only sucked a little bit, so I'm banishing you only slightly. Yeah, you're going to go he's... just
1: outside. Just yeah, go literally,
0: there. <laughs> Just yeah. like guard the outer wall or something. There's like a post there. Just go yep. guard that with your loving family. It'll be fine. Um,
1: fights oh, happen.
0: man. I, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that one of the things that obviously didn't translate was just the sheer sense of temporal scale that they were dealing with um, because it's really hard to adapt that into any sort of movie context without just boring the hell out of everybody. So
1: it, it's, you know, I, I, I don't usually talk about but it, but it's the, the series I used to be really into, Harry Potter, really <laughs> suffered because it just had no idea how to translate time into film. Mm-hmm. I think that was the, the, Those films' greatest flaw was that they just had, they, just, they were just incapable of expressing that this is a year and these events are spread out pretty evenly throughout the year.
0: I mean, so. to be fair, the books basically glossed over everything and it wasn't a major plot point to be like, yeah, and there were classes and the had Hermione do all their homework as usual. And then, um, I don't know, uh, we, we crushed another House uh, self house civil rights movement on the on like February <laughs> and then we just moved on with our lives. Um, whereas I think that Tolkien was really good at being like, this is taking time and it's tiring and it's dangerous uh, or like this is taking time and it's nice and pleasant. But, you know, the looming threat Um <clears throat> And, like, part of the reason why I think that overall message doesn't translate into the movies is because they cut the scouring of the Shire, uh, mm. which was a really important little bit of, like, just a last kick in the teeth for the main characters. Yeah.
1: Um, that and Tom Bombadil were the two things that, like, anyone, everyone noticed was gone. Like, the, when you went, you know, the older the films got and the more people looked into it. It's like, okay, well, that's missing, that's missing, that's missing. But that, yeah, scouring the Shire being the actual ending of, you know, of the book
0: yeah was, well. was
1: one of the things that people missed, but
0: because i think it was such an important like bringing it all home because if mm. you cut that it makes it seem like that the main characters could have just stayed in the shire and it would have been fine yeah um and at the same time it makes it seem like uh there are you know parts of the world that that will not be affected by the evil whereas of yes, course when you that's... when you read the books it's like the shire you know it's a nice little country homestead it's fine it's chill and then you get back and it's like it's not even just, oh, the hobbits have been enslaved by whip, crack, and orcs. It's like the hobbits have been basically slowly usurped into a fascist dictatorship. And they're all like... Because the, the, the main joke that Merry and Pippin keep making is like, wow, they've really added rules for absolutely everything around here. That's mm-hmm. dumb as fuck. Why do they have rules about who can go to what pubs? What do they have against <laughs> drinking alcohol? Um,
1: <laughs> but it also shows when the hobbits, when they get their blood up, will fuck you up. Like even yeah. your average hobbit has some sort of pointy implement somewhere on their farm and they will stab you with it if yeah. you fuck with them enough.
0: No, it's so. it's a huge thing. It's it's like, you know, oh, the evil reached here and it did fuck up our homestead. But also, it just takes a little bit of rallying and then they're all ready to fucking, like, drive these guys out. And yeah. it's not like, oh, it's just a few brigands. It's like Saruman himself posted up here specifically to screw over the main characters. Um and it's another important bit of characterization, because like, Sam and Merry and Pippin are all like, we've all leveled up from our adventures, we are so fucking ready, and are, Frodo yeah, is they're like... They're
1: giants by Hobbit standards at this point. Well, yeah,
0: yeah Merry and Pippin are because of the Ed draft, whereas Sam is just, you know, Sam is three ounces of whoop-ass. But then you get Frodo, who's like, I will never hold a sword again. I hate that anybody is dying here, I hate that we have to kill anybody, I am so tired. And then when he comes face-to-face with Saruman, and Saruman's like, that's right, I did this specifically to kill your happy ending. And Frodo's like, that is deeply, deeply sad that that was all that you could think of to do yep. with your life. Please just get out of here before somebody shoots you in the face. Can you imagine like, like
1: dude, you're ruining this for me, buddy. Like, what? But, are you, but
0: that's what I like about it, because was uh, like, yes, my grand machinations, I took over Toontown, and I made it a, <laughs> a, a fascist factory town just to... Make you sad when you got home after successfully kicking my boss's ass and Frodo's legitimately like that is kind of pathetic. Especially considering how grand you could have been and once were. Uh, so please just get out of here before one of my friends shoots you in the face even if I try to stop them. And, and Sauron's like, very well, at least my dignity's intact because I haven't been backstabbed by the most pathetic character in this yeah. book. Isn't that right, Wormtongue? Well, you ah! little bitch. Oh
1: no. <laughs> uh, like, who would have thought the person I was constantly abusing for the last three months would turn on me?
0: consequences in my actions but like that's that's what's so interesting about that whole scene is like it truly is just oh a last kick in the teeth to the good guys and the good guys are like wow all that for a last kick in the teeth that's deeply deeply sad when you could have been doing anything else with your life yeah um and, you know, losing that, it just, it, it changes the message because it means that instead of coming back to the Shire and hoping that there's going to be a lovely homecoming and then finding oopsies, everybody's uh, enslaved and, and miserable and our our society will forever be changed by this and there's no coming back to the, the culture we left because it's it's been destroyed in a certain way. Like, we'll all have to rebuild it together. Whereas in the movies, it's like, we, we come back home and home's the same, but we're all different, which is a different kind of impactful, but... I don't know, it, it, it's a little bit of a letdown compared mm. to, like, one last ride, you know? It, yeah, Let, again... Uh, Pippin bring I, in all his r- relatives ready to fuck shit up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I do sympathize with the movie because that was a difficult choice to have to make because it's... Having that sort of tiered ending system would be very difficult to keep the audience interested in. Um, I I might have done, like, a... Like, they they worked so hard to get all the Hobbit shit. Uh, you know, mm. they split the Hobbit up to three movies. Why not have, like, a Scarring of the Shire miniseries? You know?
0: Yeah, I think that it really works best as a single episode. It's it's the kind of like unfortunate that you sort of just want to get over and done with because it's like mm. we should be in bed, we yep. should be back home resting, regaling kids with our stories and instead we have to fight more bad guys. That's definitely Frodo's vibe. <laughs> um,
1: Saruman's that one guy at the party who just won't leave even though everyone else is wedding to wind down. He's just like, nah man, let's keep this going. I'm like,
0: Yeah, <laughs> the one guy who won't get off your couch mm-hmm. after the party's over. Um, there were other things in the incredibly long wind down in the books that I think it was a bit of a shame didn't make it into the movies. One of them being the very funny, like like Sam being like, oh, Mr. Frodo, you know, I want to marry Rosie, but I also don't want to stop living with you. And Frodo being like, that's <laughs> fine, Sam. The house is big enough for everybody. Just bring your family in here. And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> um,
1: Polyamory in Hobbiton.
0: <laughs> I mean, legitimately, it's a very beautiful thing. And I, I think, like, obviously there are many, many many obvious jokes and reads to make on this but i do think that just like foundationally frodo and sam having this deep and unbreakable bond and sam also having a wife and family it's just Mm -hmm. like a very beautiful thing to just have in the story but it ends in such a heartbreaking way because frodo is like i can't stay here uh like I, i i'm fucked up and and scarred, and I'm so, so tired, and I need to just, you know, I need to move on, but wherever I go, you would follow, so I have to go somewhere that Sam can't follow, uh, for now, anyway. Also, this is a really minor thing, I like that Sam, sorry, Frodo, like, casually sees the future sometimes, it just comes up occasionally, Mm -hmm. he has, like, prophetic dreams, and right at the end, he, like, lists off all of Sam's future children, and is like, you're, you've got a great line ahead of you, and some I can't even see, and it's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And he's like, all right, no further explanations. I'm getting on the boat. Bye!
1: Well, I, was that one of the things that happened after he got stabbed with the Morgul blade? Because, like, I was reading this on this read-through, I listened, they mentioned, like, oh, yeah, ever since he'd been stabbed, he got night vision and other random superpowers <laughs> from having think, been stabbed.
0: If I recall correctly, he had, like... A few minor visions of the future, like before he even left Hobbiton, uh, or like a prophetic dream or two, or something like that. Uh, And I think Sam mentioned seeing something like that. Oh, but that was in the Mirror of Galadriel, so that made sense. Sam sees a vision of the Shire burning, and he's like, Oh no! And then (laughs) then he's
1: cutting down trees. They're not supposed to be cutting down. We've got to get back there.
0: Oh, me gaffer's in chains. What the fuck? (laughs) He's not into that. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly not. Um, But also cutting this and kind of makes it feel like, okay, well, like, shit would have gone bad, but they probably could have stayed here and, you know, lived out the rest of their days happily. Um, Well,
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. someone would have found it eventually. Like they, they, eventually. Because of everyone, they're like, hey, what if we just like, threw it in the sea? And they're like, <laughs> you know, eventually he'd still get it. He'd get like a really, really, really long pole or something yeah, like that. Yeah, some
0: fish would eat it or something. Or
1: yeah. <laughs> Smeagol it's...
0: would just dig it up out of another fish and like, hey, there it is.
1: Hey, Smeagol uh, invented the scuba suit. <laughs> <to> get... <laughs>
0: <laughs> Smeagol goes down in a big bell jar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep. Oh, cr- gosh. Oh, c- yeah. Circling back to Saruman, another thing I, I did sort of, I'm not sure it would have translated well to the movie, but they, they missed out on the ones, a really unintentionally gay scene where he's like, I am Saruman the White no more. I am now Saruman the Many-Colored. And he's in this oh, rainbow yeah. coat, this <laughs> beautiful gay pride costume. And, mm-hmm. and Gandalf has the most sassy response ever. She's like, I preferred white. I like white better.
0: (laughs) Uh, Gandalf is so fun in the books. Uh, Especially because that's, like, we don't see that play out. He's recounting that story later Mm -hmm. to the main guys. Because, like, I think they basically stick to the Hobbits being the only POV characters in the books. So, like, anything anybody else gets up to, those characters have to tell the Hobbits about later. Um, So... So, Gandalf being like, Oh, it was crazy, man. I was imprisoned on top of a tower, and I called it a favor from my bud, the Lord of Eagles, using a messenger, etc., yeah. etc. Et Radagast and was, like,
1: was just like, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go tell people about the problem. I'm not going to help with it. I'm just going to tell people I about also,
0: it. Yeah. So, but, uh, Gandalf is so fun. I was really glad when he came back. Because um, that whole scene in the book little bit intentionally confusing, I think, because I think Gandalf does mention, like, oh yeah, Saruman was probably also fucking around in the woods trying to ambush you. That's probably what scared off the horses initially. Um, because mm-hmm. there's a bit where they're, like, at the campfire, and like, Gimli's like, there's somebody in the woods, and they, like, just <laughs> barely can see an old man, like, mm-hmm. watching them, and then he leaves, and they're like, what the fuck, man? Who was that? I'm like, oh boy.
1: <laughs> Briefly and becomes then, the Blair Witch Project for a bit. Yeah. yeah.
0: But, and then the next day they run into like a spooky enchanter who literally like uses like just the power of his words is enough to make Gimli drop his axe. And we're like, oh no, we're all yeah. so fucked. And then it's Gandalf just fucking with them
1: for some reason. <laughs> that was another scene that didn't translate great because he was intentionally like white balancing his face out.
0: Yeah, he like, was just There's gluing. no reason
1: for him to do that other than dramatic entrance. It's me, Sir Ian McKellen.
0: I did kind of like how they in that line they actually blended Ian McKellen and Christopher Lee's voices together to make it a little oh, bit that's ambiguous. Clever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also in uh, in Andy Serkis's read, his voices for Gandalf and Saruman are distinct from each other, but they are very similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was still a little bit like this could be Gandalf doing a bit, or this could be Saruman. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: i I oh got my, my first experience with Lord of the Rings is my father actually read them to me when I was like five. So mm. that was. I'm so... almost in
0: exactly the same boat. <laughs> nice but yeah yeah, so
1: like but he didn't he didn't tell like when Gandalf I was crying when Gandalf fell in Moria and he didn't tell me he didn't tell me (laughs) he was coming I it was months late because he did a chapter a night and then Uh so it was like a book and a half later before I found out he came back so I was just like on one hand yes that's how you're supposed to experience the story but on the other hand you could give me some hint that it was okay you
0: know (laughs) oh man yeah, no, I, I think that uh, getting it read to you as a bedtime story is the peak way to experience it, because that, mm-hmm. uh, that gave me two different scarred for life's. Uh, because we had the Minds of Maria, my absolute favorite horror setup for anything, of like, mm-hmm. huh, awfully quiet in this place that's supposed to be a bustling metropolis. Wonder what happened here? probably nothing yep. oh what's this a book with information down to the last minute of the life of the writer don't <laughs> oh, mind shit. if We're i do dying. Yep. yeah yeah we cannot get out drums in the deep and i was like oh okay. cool and then there was just like this one minor bit i think it's when gandalf is talking to frodo about Gollum because frodo's mm-hmm. like notice the Gollum is following them and Gandalf is was like oh notice that did you i've known this whole time um and it, it like casually mentions that yeah, oh yeah, Gollum has been like slinking across the countryside, and sometimes he will steal babies out of cradles and eat them. And I was yes, like, yes, fuck, yes, the me? baby
1: eating. I f- yeah! Oh, oh god, yeah, Drop I wrote that, that, that down. I, I, I. That was going to be in my things they left out of the book. Thing, and I just couldn't mm-hmm. bring myself to do it. I was just like, he snatched... Yeah, elf, elves would find that their cradles had been robbed. I'm like... Ex- I don't think it
0: was elves, because elves don't reproduce very much. Uh, Fair enough. As, well, yeah, uh, the, but
1: there was definitely a mention of, like, eating babies out of cradles. And I was just like, sure, what yeah. the fuck?
0: Yeah, we're just going to drop that and go. Like, it's not the most horrifying thing I've ever heard. <laughs> That's cool. He ate babies? <laughs> I mean, we already knew he sucked, but, like... That well, was a new but, level.
1: <laughs> you know, there's, there's like, there's the Smeagol you see in the films where you can't help but love him because like I'm not listening, I'm not listening. But then there's yeah. baby eating motherfucker.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: That's... yeah. I mean, that had the same similar thing of Jurassic Park because there's a bit with some like in the opening to Jurassic Park, some Procoptorids or whatever little dinosaurs made it to the mainland, and they mm-hmm. straight up eat a baby.
0: Yep, yep. I remember that bit too. And it's like, okay, so, cool. Well, I'm no longer rooting for the dinosaurs because they mm-hmm. ate a baby. That's they're kind, they're kind of a favorite. categorical no-no for me.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing how often that comes up and is left out of films. Like, you know what, maybe we don't need the eating babies.
0: Mm. It's almost like oftentimes when Standards and Practices is reviewing a movie, they're like, do we absolutely need this baby eating scene? Is it crucial to the story?
1: Yeah, Peter, we notice there's a graphic baby eating scene in your film. <laughs> Are oh, you okay? I, so, I mean, I have you have it, seen any of Peter Jackson's other movies that would not be out of keeping for him? He's fucked up.
0: I believe you, but I don't think I have. Um, Yeah, well, he's done like zombie
1: movies. He's done this movie that was like Muppets but X-rated. Oh,
0: I think I heard about that one. Yeah. Um,
1: Now he's he's a very morbid, grotesque, like sense of humored person. (laughs) Huh.
0: I wish I remembered a source for this, but I think uh, like in terms of getting things past standards and practices, I remember when they were doing the Batman animated series. In order to get away with like some of the darker moments, they'd like drop in little false flags, being like, "Ah, yeah, we want to include a scene where Harley's hyenas are shown chowing down on the contents of a baby carriage," and they'd be like, "No," and they're like, "Great, but we can have this guy fire a gun," and they're like, "Anything but the baby thing."
1: (laughs) (laughs) Misdirection.
0: (laughs) Yeah, gotcha.
1: Aha! I never wanted the baby!
0: (laughs) You fool. My machinations lay undetected. Well, it's good to know
1: there are some Lex Luthor-level plots going on actually in the making of Batman. That's fun.
0: Yeah, they they learned from the best.
1: Oh, gosh. So, uh, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I'm I'm on my fifth attempt to make it through The Salmarillion. And I am trying Mm -hmm. it on audiobook this time. But, again, I've never had a book that I, I zone out from more. Uh, and and you miss a lot you miss like centuries if you stop paying attention for a few minutes Uh, Mm. and they jump
0: around a little bit too sometimes which is more confusing because it'll be like they they'll describe the events of a line and then they'll be like uh, until uh, Elrond's son did this thing later and you're like Elrond's around now and then it'll cut back to some shit about like the children of her and again it's like I really feel like Elrond's sons didn't exist when this was happening but I'm not sure anymore yeah or like they'll name drop somebody who's clearly Aragorn um oh I'm trying to remember cuz this wasn't in the Silmarillion I think it was in the appendices at the end of return of the king um Two of them got the reading-aloud treatment, because they weren't just vocab-lists, um, <laughs> but uh, if I recall correctly, there was a very fun bit where there was just sort of, um, no, sorry, this was at the end of The Silmarillion, I think, it was like a speedrun explanation of the War of the Ring. Kind of a, as the like the capstone on everything else. Um, and at one point they mentioned, there were a couple times where I was like, that's Gandalf, that's definitely Gandalf. Because uh, he gets, um, his true, like, Maiar name gets dropped early on. And is like, I know of the Maiar, there was this guy. And I was like, oh, well,
1: yeah, yeah, they all have fucking really fucking weird, and... weird names. And they, do, they all have yeah. true forms as well, because they don't look like old men when they're off in the, in the Grey Havens. They're like well, young, sexy dudes.
0: I think it's more like they don't really have bodies unless they want bodies. Because uh, like it, when it was described, like before they got sent over as wizards, Gandalf would usually take the form of just like an elf or something and just hang out with them in disguise. It was very, very Odin coded of him. Um, I mean, Grey Wanderer. It's very. He's very intentionally a reference to it. Um, yep, yep. So I'm, I'm amazed he got through it with both his eyes intact. Although I suppose <laughs> that probably would have just been a minor My- inconvenience.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, he's, I mean, yeah, he's, he also, like, there's, that may have been too much plagiarism yeah. even for Tolkien.
0: <laughs> I mean, his body is basically decorative anyway. It's basically like, if you if you become evil, you can only stay hot for as long as your body doesn't get destroyed. Yep. And then after that, it's, this is a mechanical, it comes up several times. If you become evil and then your body is destroyed, you can no longer incarnate as a hot person. So, like, Sauron could only, sorry, Sauron could only, like, trick people Ish, you know, before he got exploded when Numenor sank. Because after that, because yeah. he'd been evil for too long, they were like, you can no longer be hot anymore. Now you must be gross looking. And he was like, <laughs> fine, I guess. Fine. Um, yeah.
1: yeah. There's all.
0: <laughs> this is a minor thing but there's a there's a little moment in the narration of the books that i don't think made it into the movies at all which is both times that we see a body destroyed which is when the ring is destroyed and then when saruman is killed uh they describe like this vast humanoid smoky shape rising out of it looking to the west and then getting blown away by like a gust of wind which is clearly like okay, Valar, I know that was some pretty rough shit, but, like, maybe we're still cool, right? And then the Valar just being like, nope.
1: Nope, yeah, let's talk about this. (laughs)
0: Yeah, yeah, hold on, I'm just a little guy, and it's my birthday. it's my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah but there's a bit in like the Silmarillion last chunk that's just like the War of the Ring speedrun where they mention in like the decades leading up to the beginning of it like oh this guy shows up this this guy just shows up out of nowhere and he's just so cool and like a real ass kicker and and like fights a bunch of f- combat and then like just disappears back into the wilderness and i was like okay was that gandalf because that doesn't feel like his style and mm-hmm. then surprise that was aragorn that was like he he just did some shenanigans and like some and i think it was even like he rocked up on gondor like when denethor was young because like aragorn's like 80 in the book Mm because he he's you know true Numenorian blood he ages like one third the speed of every yeah exactly uh so he just ages incredibly slowly uh and lives for like 300 years or something like that but yeah he just rocks up on gondor when he's young and like helps out a lot and then disappears and he's using a pseudonym um And uh, it's just very fun that, like, Aragorn has this whole adventurer history, and it just never comes up because... It just gets gets bundled into oh yeah, Aragorn really knows his shit and he's like really competent and has been a ranger for a while and it's like it, yeah, but sometimes he also does. So like that, that scene
1: from community where Troy's like, so do you just go off and do your own side quest constantly? And it's like yeah, pretty much. Like yeah, me, me too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's really the energy, but it is always fun playing the like who's a main character. I know one of you yeah. bitches is a main character.
1: <laughs> There's because uh, Glorfindel plays a big part in the Samuelian as well, but mm-hmm. uh, it I. I'm assuming when he originally wrote that it was a different Glorfindel, because this is a Glorfindel who was thousands of years ago, had a death that was exactly the same as Gandalf's. He went down fighting, fighting a, Balrog a Balrog on a bridge, and they both went over the edge, mm-hmm. and then he went to the to the heaven waiting room, and then was sent back because he was just so badass they had to reincarnate him. But like, yeah. there was no specific mention that this was the same Glorfindel that they met in the Fellowship until Tolkien confirmed it later, I think.
0: Yeah, this was because um, I remember we were talking with Tim about this because uh, mm-hmm. I was like, I keep getting confused because they'll drop a name of a character I recognize and then that character will die. And he was like, are you talking about Glorfindel? Because that's the same Glorfindel. And I was like, I'm more confused now. What do you I, mean?
1: Yes, we, we, have a, we have a group chat on Facebook where we occasionally exchange these things. And like, whenever Lord of the Rings come up, I start to say stuff. And then Tim <laughs> will come out with like, the deep Law, and I'm like yeah. I will just I'll just sit quietly and wait for him to explain it because he knows yep. that shit
0: I so. truly thought that by reading the Silmarillion I'd be entirely up to speed but then it would be like well actually in his letters there's additional comments yes. like what do you, you mean he got a
1: postcard to his niece at one point in 1961 that confirmed <laughs> that Glorfindel was left handed uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: God, it's such a funny thing. To, I, although I gotta say, like people who are like deep into the Silmarillion really impress me. Uh, one of whom being my dad, uh, because when I was talking to him about like how much trouble I was having getting into the Silmarillion or like getting through it, uh, we we were just sort of discussing it in broad strokes, and he mentioned at one point that there's this like incredibly cool like battle that is framed as a poem. Like it, it's it's. Well, I can't recite it, but in the process of describing it, he just rattled the whole thing off the dome. From memory? From memory! What? And I was like, what is happening right now? And he was like, yeah, I think I maybe forgot the last couple lines. And I was like, oh, oh, is that what happened? (laughs) Um, I'm telling you, man, poetry, it's crazy. It it does wild things to people.
1: I mean this in a good way. This explains a lot about you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, that's fair. Um, Gosh, but no, the Silmarillion is interesting, but at the same time, like, I think a lot of people want to be able to just read through it and be like, this is the true canon. But in actuality, like, if somebody went through and took all of my notes of, like, everything I've ever written for any, like, long-running story I've been working on and put them all together and was like, this is the true canon, it would contradict itself in, like, 50 different places because usually I'd be like, oh, I've got a better idea. I'm gonna do this here. So, like, the the thing you pointed out with, like, Glorfindel's original death is exactly Mm -hmm. how Gandalf dies. It's like... What, what a bet that he was like, this would be so cool. And then he's like, not only would this be so cool, I can just put this in my book.
1: This can be the finale of the well, first book, basically. He wasn't necessarily planning to publish the Silmarillion, was he? That was posthumous.
0: Well, I think he wanted to publish the Silmarillion. He, he basically, what he was trying to do, as I understand it, was he wanted to make a mythology for, like, Europe. He wanted mm-hmm. to invent a folklore because the whole thing, like Middle Earth, is like, oh, it's it's a fantastical other world. No, it's not. It is supposed to be Earth, the prequel, which is yeah, why it's like, wild. and here's and here's how the world is fl- isn't flat anymore. Or like he'll talk about constellations and they will be real constellations. So he keeps bringing up the wheel and it's the Big Dipper or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm well, like, I don't know why you do that. I don't know why you bind yourself to that. But this is
1: another thing that, like Tim, the deep lore that Tim sort of uh, gushed on us was that, like, mm-hmm. the Lord of the Rings is not an accurate account. No, of what it's Bilbo and Frodo's
0: uh, notes, yeah, what, basically.
1: Yeah, but it's also like it's been amended over the years because, like, because uh, according to Tolkien's like deep lore, is that there was a book called The Red Book that Tolkien found. Like, Tolkien wrote himself into his own lore. He's like, I found Uh this book that was from the age before man took over Earth. And Mm -hmm. it's The Lord of the Rings. And he also, like, there's notes in it that says, like, Gondorians disagree on this particular part of Aragorn. They said he actually was blonde or, I don't know. There's some... So there's layers upon layers upon layers of this shit. So almost to the point where I almost, like don't want to engage with it anymore because <laughs> it's like okay but if this if this didn't happen this way how am I supposed to invest in it you know?
0: yeah yeah no I understand I think part of that was covered his own ass because when he first wrote The Hobbit I think this is like one of the more well-known pieces of like deep lore uh, in the first version uh, Riddles in the Dark plays out completely differently yes. uh, and yes. Gollum, Gollum just... was fairly chill yeah, Gollum was chill, and he gave Bilbo the ring as a reward when he when he uh, outfoxed him. And yep. then the explanation is that Bilbo was like, I come across as a bit of an asshole just robbing this guy, so I'll just make myself just a little bit more heroic, like, yes, I beat him fair and square, and he handed over the it ring, and it gift, was totally fine. Is, yeah, yeah. It, it was a gift. Uh, and the explanation is literally like, Bilbo's not a reliable narrator. <laughs> That's why yep. The Hobbit, like, and then in Lord of the Rings, I think they even call it out because Sam is like, now hold on, every time Bilbo told us that story, he said he won the ring fair and square, and Gandalf's like, oh, that Bilbo, always lying about always shit.
1: <laughs> lying little shit, yeah. Oh, I see you read the first <laughs> edition, Samwise. Well, you see, he see, revised that.
0: Uh, rookie mistake, yes. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think that Tolkien, this is one of the parts of Tolkien's, like, fantasy zeitgeist that i think just did not make it into the popular fantasy genre afterwards like people were like elves dwarves i'll take those magical uh, world building i'll take that turning it into earth at the end nah, no thank you um at least yeah. that's that's certainly that's where my uh inspiration from tolkien kind of ends because i think that like if you're gonna build a magical world just make it its own thing like you can do so much more shit there uh but he was trying he was setting out to make a mythos for Europe, like there's, there are so many things where it's like, and that's how this works. So, like he was drawing inspiration from Norse mythology, Finnish mythology, stuff like that.
1: Um, did, did he ever explain like how Middle Earth became Europe or? All that because like was there continental drift?
0: Like I think. uh Well, the one thing that Tolkien clearly did not care about world building wise was drawing maps because if you've ever seen the maps of it, it's like Mordor is in a box.
1: It's, it's a world squ- in quarters. So you got Gondor on the bottom left, Rohan mm-hmm. on the top right. So you got Mordor on the bottom right, and then you got the Shire up in the top left. It's yeah, he's. He's not. He's not. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't really care about. And then, like the mountains, will just be like, there's the lonely mountain. There's a line of mountains down the middle, mm-hmm. and that perfectly creates like a squ- like a plus sign across the map. Here,
0: he cares so much about doing the travel log parts, where the like the individual levels, like they followed the Brandywine and they came to the edge mm. of this forest, and then it's like, can you put them on a map? And it's like, can I what on a what? <laughs> uh, so I think the implication is kind of like the world has changed shape before, because when. Um, when the valar got miffed and made the world into a ball instead of a plane uh and they it was kind of funny because then that part of the Silmarillion, really, they were like yeah the whole world kind of shifted and shook and then they redrew the maps and they were like this is different and smaller um what happened <laughs> it's like oh cool it's a ball now we sail around and we come around the other side which is just such a funny like what? it's it's solid gold um but But I think the implication in general is, like, you know, the Third Age is ending, magic is going out of the world, you know, the hobbits hide away. And it kind of, like, the magic goes away is generally a frustrating ending. But if your goal is to turn it into the real world, Mm -hmm. it makes a little bit more sense. Um,
1: That is one of the things, like, a lot of people lean into this, like, man, it's not what it used to be. This is not the Golden Age. This is the last stand, the last gasp of magic Mm -hmm. and stuff. But, like... Tolkien plays it up so much that sometimes I, I, a part of me just wants to yell, then why are you telling us this story? If this is the least impressive, least interesting last quest of all mm. these things, why, uh, why is the story not set back in the fucking first age where everyone was a giant penis badass, you know? <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> I mean, when people, the when the elves had for.
1: spaceships! <laughs> that they crashed into giant dragons. Only you know? one
0: spaceship. And technically, it's still up there, being one of the no- morning or evening stars. I don't remember yeah, which Yeah,
1: well, one. you think um. you think you see the ISS flying overhead? No, that's a motherfucking z- z- elven yep, that, boat.
0: <laughs> with a Silmaril set in the prow. Um, yeah. But, I mean, that's what the saga of Baron and Luthien is for, where it's like, oh, yeah, Luthien, she can just do magic by singing, and it, it slaps. And, um, honestly, of all the parts of the Silmarillion, a lot of it was kind of a haze of, like, yeah, yeah, Turin and Hurin and... Melkor is still doing shit. That's great. And then I got to the saga of Baron and Luthien, and I was like, this is the only part that I think Tolkien felt like he finished. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of really sweet stuff about it. On, like, the gravestones of him and his wife, it says, like, Beren and Luthien and stuff like that. I don't like think that. I ever got
1: this far. So these characters that came in later. Oh, it's,
0: it's so good. I think they are the distant ancestors of... Or distant-ish by elf generations, so, like, great-grandma, of... Um, uh, uh, Jesus Christ, this is so embarrassing. The word is in my fucking head. Elrond and Arwen! It's Elrond and Arwen. They're, they're distant ancestors. Because Arwen is, uh, because Aragorn keeps going on about, like, oh, I saw you and I thought you were Luthien herself. And it's because, yeah, she looks, she's a dead ringer for Luthien Tinuviel. Um, and, uh, So basically it was the original elf-human romance. Uh, Luthien was an elven maiden, and uh, Baron was a mortal man, and he goes to... uh, Is it the guy that Aragorn
1: was singing about in that one scene?
0: Yes, this is the the song he was singing. Uh, And he goes to Luthien's father, whose name escapes me, It's like Thingolfin or something like that. They all, all these fucking elves and Silmarillion are named the same things. Uh, And he's like, I want your daughter's hand in marriage. And instead of just being like, okay, you're going to live, what, ten more decades and then she'll have an immortal life to grieve you? That sounds completely fine and, like, it's not going to be a problem at all. Instead of doing that, he's like, oh, yeah, you like, proving yourself? And Baron's like, (laughs) I guess. So he's like, all right, chump, if you want my daughter's hand, I need you to get me a Silmaril uh, because he's one of the – I think he's one of the children of um, uh, Feanor who bound all his sons to the oath of – get the Silmarillas at any cost and fight anybody necessary to get them this surely won't have devastating long-term consequences. And then Feodor got the easy way out. He died immediately thereafter by exploding because he got too mad. His body to dis- well he also got grievously wounded and then he was so mad that his body disintegrated. Um, <sighs> there's a lot of
1: there's a lot of that in in the summary at least even the bits that I read. It was like have mm-hmm. you ever been so mad that you just blew the fuck up like yeah, when yeah. Melkor descended onto middle earth it was like he was just so fucking pissed he de- he became the size of a mountain his eyes were like bleeding lava and shit it's like yep. damn you it's a lot <laughs> yeah
0: yeah so so he's like baron you need to get the the silmaril uh and then maybe i'll let Luthian uh be your your gf or whatever and he's like Cool. That. How hard could that be? But they're all set yeah. in Melkor's crown right now, and they're yeah, like, yeah, we problem. can probably make this work. Um, and it involves this buckwild adventure. Like Luthien is at one point like confined in this like like prison, and she escapes by weaving her hair into a magic cloak that lets her put people to sleep. It's very very mystical. Um, and uh, there's this big evil wolf. So Baron like gets the Silmaril, and he's got it in his hand, and then the big evil wolf bites his hand off. Um, wait a second yeah I mean yeah yeah Uh, but so then they go back to the dad and the part I think I actually out loud said like oh shit when this happened because Baron goes to the guy and the guy's like oh where's the Silmaril and he holds up his stump and is like even now the Silmaril is in my hand
1: and the guy's like
0: ah shit fine I guess you can have my daughter's hand in marriage
1: (laughs) you know I wouldn't fuck with a guy who just lets you know yeah, yeah that is it is a thing like if elves didn't grieve for so damn long, relationships mm-hmm. with humans would be a much less of a big deal. So like, oh, you want to mind my daughter? Fine, I I'll just wait this one out. You know. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, th- there's this interesting tragedy that the elves don't really seem to change very much. They're like seasons changing is just a thing that happens to us, but like their lives seem kind of boring in the long term. Mm. Uh, and whereas humans live very short but very vibrant lives that undergo a lot of transformation. Um, so whenever an elf is like, I'm gonna fall in love with a human, they get you know carried along on this whirlwind romance and then they're sad forever mm. uh and there is also the the, the fundamental world building tragedy that when elves die they go to valinor but when humans die they don't they uh they go on to some other more complicated thing they have um, their own.
1: right cuz yeah that was that was why it was a bigger deal that Eowyn's... not Eowyn, arwen stayed behind cuz like yeah in the appendix, like I think only through only Aragorn, Merry and Pippin are like the only three of the fellowship to actually die. The rest of them went off to the Grey Havens.
0: It's implied yeah, cuz Legolas and Gimli get there eventually. Uh yeah. I think after Aragorn dies and Sam, as another ring-bearer, uh, Frodo implies that he eventually gets to sail
1: off to eventually. Yeah,
0: presumably at some point, maybe, like, I think it's, like, after Rosie dies and, like, mm. the, the grandkids and the great-grandkids are already, you yeah. know, yeah, full It was grown. till death
1: to his part, Rosie. I didn't say anything about following you into the afterlife. I'm off to go find yeah. my boyfriend.
0: Yeah, although apparently there's some debates about that, because it's like, if you go to Valinor, you don't become immortal. This was a big point of contention in the original, um, in the Silmarillion, huh. because... The people of Numenor were, like, tricked by Melkor uh, to be, like to believe that Valinor is the undying land, which means if you go there, you become immortal. But in actuality, yep. it's just, it's where the immortal people live. You go there and you kind of burn out if you're if you're immortal. But I think the vibe I got is like, Frodo and Sam get to go there and live as long as they want to, and then eventually can just decide to die, should Interesting. they so wish, I didn't but know I don't know. This is, okay. this is like okay. shit I've seen people arguing about on Stack Overflow, stuff like that. Um, I don't know why there's one of those for Tolkien. Um,
1: we'll, we'll ask tim he probably knows the answer
0: oh yeah i'm sure he knows um but uh yeah the, the thing about like elves go to valinor but humans when they die they go on to some other fate it's interesting because that's framed in the books as like this is like the blessing of Eluvatar. like this is the this is the the gift to humanity mm-hmm. and uh, human adjacent things like halflings i guess which is like when you die you go on to some grander fate which i think was how tolkien was reconciling you know I made this magical, fantastical creation story for the world I live in, and also I'm a fairly devout Christian, where it's mm-hmm. like humans that die go on to some other heaven fate kind of thing. That they serve some other purpose when it comes to the eventual remaking of the world. So sure. it's like, okay, cool. But that means that if you have an elf and a human, and they're in love and then they die, the way things normally play out is the elf just sticks around, Uh, or goes to elf heaven and the human they just never see them again so instead it's like it's a rare privilege for an elf to be granted the privilege to die and to go to human heaven or wherever they are
1: Um, but it's a little one being such a bitch about it (laughs)
0: because that means he was going to be separated from arwen because he Uh... goes to elf heaven and she just dies so like and and it's explicit in the books that like the great the last great tragedy of the war of the ring is that uh arwen and um elrond are forever separated from each other which yeah. I kind of like how much the the books will just spell out like this is sad. It's sad that this is happening. It's cause... Sad
1: because he is father and she is daughter, and they like <laughs> they're now, now now they're not there.
0: Well, they do seem to you know care deeply about each other. Oh, it's yeah, like no, you...
1: they got a, they got a good. Uh, yeah. Oh god, there's no way of saying father daughter relationship. There's no they got a good daddy daughter thing. Wait, no, that's hundred oh, percent <laughs> the wrong way to say <laughs> it. Danger, uh, <laughs> <danger>. <laughs> oh. Yeah, they have a good family yeah. dynamic. <laughs> yeah,
0: they they seem pretty sweet, but uh. I think that that's one of the interesting things about the books is just how willing they are to be fucking sad when it needs to. Because at the end, when, when Frodo sails off to the Undying Lands, like, him and Sam, it's like, it's legitimately just absolutely heartbreaking. Because he's like, Sam, you need to go on and continue to live your life. But I, you can't continue to live your life torn into like this between your life and my fucked up And honestly, the part where I kind of cracked when I was listening through that is Merry and Pippin rock up. They're like, you keep trying to get away from us without even saying goodbye, and it's not gonna work. And I was like, Oh god! And then they just <laughs> but then they like they're like he can't stay. He's yeah. basically just waiting for death at this point. So they're like, okay, we're gonna see him off, and then they they, they all ride back together, and like Mary and Pippin start kind of joking with each other again, but Sam's just silent all the way I home, know, and me. then and yeah. then the last words of the book when he says, Well, I'm back, and it's like, ah but <laughs> You read into that so far, because, I mean, so much of this is very much informed by Tolkien's experience in World War One, and then seeing yeah. it again in World War Two from an older standpoint. And, like, because, you know, World War One he was a young man for, and it was very, very scarring. Like, that was the thing where he went out with all of his friends, and he was the only one who came back. Um, so that <clears throat> colors some things about the mm-hmm. story. Um, but then also, he sees it happen again. He sees a younger generation get sold on a world war, the kind he's already experienced, and he's like, mm, "That's yeah, that's bad." I think it's kind of telling that almost all of the main characters of Lord of the Rings are old. Like a lot of them don't age normally, but it's like yeah. Aragorn's fucking eighty-seven. Frodo is like middle-aged by Hobbit standards. Yeah. He just looks young.
1: It's, that is interesting, because I was going to mention that before. Like, Frodo is, is a good 20 years older than the rest of the Hobbits. It's just yeah, that he looks the same age. Yeah, he thinks the they're all age. kids. Um, yeah, he keeps calling, him, like, Sam my boy, my, my sweet yeah. son, Sam. Yeah. And,
0: like, Pippin is, like, a baby. He's, like, a mm. little... Wee- I mean, he's, he's Barely like... Barely
1: 30 or something, yeah.
0: Exactly. He's, like, he's like just cusp of adulthood. And him and Merry are the ones that end up on the front lines. And it's, like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. So, and they come That's- back and they get to be good heroes and stuff like that. You know, the kind of things that someone who would march off to World War One had been told they would be when they come home. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to be a hero, uh, an adventurer. Uh, and Frodo comes back and he's just absolutely like, he's like, I've seen too many people die. I'm never going to see this again. Uh, I do like the jokes
1: like, man, men will go all the way to the Grey Havens rather than go to therapy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they didn't have therapists in, in Hobbiton. They just had tea and judgment. Um, <laughs>
1: but, so it's, it is it is Britain, okay. Yeah, cool. exactly.
0: Um, man, but it's it's such a it's such a profoundly tragic ending. But at the same time, it's like, there, the way that this shook out, there was no happier ending that this could have done. It would, like it would have been nice if Frodo and Sam and Rosie had stayed in their nice little Hobbiton polycule and you know stuck around, and like mm-hmm. Frodo had healed in a way that would have worked for him. But it they just it don't was go very, go,
1: don't go down that way sometimes. Yeah,
0: it, yeah. and Frodo got uh, peace, which is kind of the only thing he could have hoped for. And in the end, he will get reunited with Sam eventually, and that's kind of because separating him from Sam forever would have been too cruel. Which is why I think they throw yeah. in the like, Sam, you can come later after you've done your whole family thing. Do, it'll be, be great. Be
1: the mayor of the Shire for 60 years. Be the best yeah. leader they ever had, and then come. You
0: know. Yeah, yeah. You know, do your time, and then, yeah, and it'll be great. And Merry and Pippin can... Uh,
1: did do whatever they want? Well, they they but, would often travel and they went back to be buried next to Aragorn in the in yeah in the yeah area.
0: they would just go yeah. and visit Aragorn. I thought that was really sweet. And the implication that like Legolas and Gimli are doing like a Middle Earth grand tour of like, yeah. well I still hate trees, but you know what? When you're here, I can kind of see the appeal. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. well this this cavern still makes me feel like I'm dying inside, but you know what, <laughs> Gimli? It's not so bad with you beside me. And it's just like, oh my god, <laughs> it's <laughs> like okay, yeah. Mary already. <laughs>
1: Yes. well the fellowship had to like speed run through that shit so I was like okay let's, let's go back there and actually really vibe with Moria see what happens
0: yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> let's go there when it's a little bit less corpsey and there are fewer goblins and yeah. we can really spruce it up a little bit yeah Man, some that's...
1: wall hangings up see if we like it any better
0: Half the fun of reading the books is that it actually gives the characters more time to like each other, uh, mm. which is something that the movies... I mean, people talk about, like, the fellowship breaks, like, immediately. Like, yeah. they get in one adventure, and then they're all splitting separate well, ways.
1: Well, yeah, well, it's... The, the, the idea of the fellowship continuing on indefinitely was, again, another thing that was, like, unique to the film, because there was a lot of discussion about how far each of them were going to go in mm-hmm. the book. It was talk a lot of talk of, like... You guys, we're not gonna make you swear any oath, no promises, no, we don't, no, don't sign anything. You can go as long on this quest as you want to. And it was sort of agreed that, like, Boromir was definitely gonna head off immediately yeah. like you know he was
0: like we're uh, going to Gondor and then that's final and if we yeah. don't go to Gondor then I'm not coming with you like yeah
1: and also me. but you got it sort of getting really sassy towards the end of it. it was just like so you know I'm gonna go to Gondor and if all the help I've been hasn't earned me any <laughs> thanks I guess I'll go alone or whatever oh, it's fine I mean, it was only a snowplow for you fucking hobbits for like a fucking three days <laughs>
0: He was very sweet about it, but I liked how you could kind of see the ring start to get to him.
1: Yeah, it was um, a, definitely a slow digression into like, it sort of went from like, true hero, kind of sassy bitch, kind of like dark loner to I'm just going to take this fucking ring.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I like that when you sort of unpack Boromir, the the thing that got to him was like, He's desperate to save Gondor. That is so clearly all that this Mm -hmm. is. He's like, they're all counting on me, my dad and my brother. They all need me to save the day because I'm the hero. And like, they've got the thing I need right here. Like, and it, of course he fell for it. He like, I, I give Boromir a lot of shit. Justifiably so, in a lot of cases. But it's really tragic that what legitimately got him was a heroic impulse. He just wanted mm-hmm. to protect his people. The ring is really good at turning people's greatest traits against them. The only person that it failed to fuck with was Sam because his greatest trait was, boy, That's I sure a- am looking forward to a- a gardening more after this is over.
1: <laughs> yep. That's that. Yep. That was his, uh, the greatest desire that Gladriel could grant him was some fucking dirt because it would grow some mm. really fucking choice potatoes when he gets home. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, he did. That's why the scouring of the Shire was important, because they used that dust to regrow the Shire. Yep,
1: yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> still funny that Sam got given dirt. Everyone else was given, like, weapons and daggers, and, wrote, and he's just like, you know what? Have a box of dirt, Sam.
0: Yeah, I got a box of dirt. Ha! Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Uh, Sorry. Uh, but so, I think we're coming like...
1: up for time. a Any, oh, any yeah. like any any final thoughts you want to have on what? The Lord of the Rings, but also The Hobbit, and also the movies, and also the sequels, and also the uh, Samarillian?
0: Well, I... Boy, yeah, you know, nice little short order like that. Mm-hmm. I really think that it's it's interesting that the books definitely at the end are like, they all get happy endings for the duration of their lives, except for Arwen who tragically outlives Aragorn and then dies alone. But then she gets to go to the undying land. Well, she gets to go to, to, to human heaven. She gets Is to be reunited with him in human heaven eventually. But that was probably the saddest part of the entire, I want to say that was in the, the appendix or, some, or the Silmarillion the, ending how or something long, How like much that. longer
1: did she live for?
0: Uh, because she became mortal when she made her decision to stay, but Aragorn was like already 80-something, so I think she lives for decades after he dies. Uh, and it's, it's heartbreaking, because what she does, all the other elves have already left. She goes to Lothlorien, the, the woods where Galadriel and the others used to be, but they're all gone. She just wanders the empty woods and eventually lies down and dies. What uh, the fuck?! Everybody she knows and loves is already dead or in the Undying Lands. There was no other option for her. This is the price she paid to be with Aragorn. And like, as Aragorn is dying, she's like, "No, come on, stay with me. We got another few decades in us." And he's like, "I'm sorry, my love, but you know, I wouldn't change a thing." You know, just really got fucking this. tired. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he's he's already hung on for like two hundred something years at this point. He's like, "I'm sorry, babe. Like, I I just don't have any more in me." But you know what? We got we got it in, and it's kind of sad because she's this is always this is something that i think tolkien is really good at as a writer is he lets his like paragons and like his good guys kind of break at the finish line because arwen is also like if i'd known it would have been like this i'm not entirely sure i would have made the choice to give up my immortality well but like well because mostly i i don't remember exactly how she says it but she's like i didn't understand that it would feel no i remember what it was she was like when i was younger and I learned that the Numenorians panicked about their mortality and started seeking immortality. I thought they were idiots and I, I scorned them, like, oh the the folly of man caused the downfall of this civilization. But now I understand why they were so desperate. And Aragorn's like, That's rough, buddy, but you know what? We had a good run there. And then he fucking dies. <laughs> and it's really sad. And it's like it's framed as just like sometimes it's just sad with no caveats. Um yeah. and they get, I yeah, get so, reunited in uh People heaven. People heaven. I would assume, <laughs> yeah. Uh, along with Baron and Luthien, presumably, who are like, hey, she really does look exactly like her. God, that would be wild, though, if Aragorn dies and wakes up in people heaven and looks straight at somebody who looks exactly like his wife and is like, that... The fu- that can't be, right? Uh, Although, uh, what but- if... Oh no, sorry, my brain's writing fanfic as we speak because like when he first meets Arwen, he ca- he calls her Luthien because he thinks that's who he's seeing and what if he wakes up in people heaven and he sees Luthien and the first thing he says is Arwen
1: <laughs> comes full circle yeah, yeah
0: bookends sad, sad bookends <laughs>
1: Sad bookends. But, um, but that must be that would be very confusing that a person who looks just like your wife you just like
0: <laughs> Aragorn yeah. and uh Baron kind of just like. Flipping a coin every morning, like, am I going to fuck this up today? I hope not. Um, (laughs) It's like, all right, heads, I think mine's the one on the left. No, no, no. She doesn't have the the sorrow of ages in her eyes. I think yours is the one on the right.
1: no. I'm thinking of them swinging. That's no good.
0: No! (laughs) Oh, boy. But, uh... But I do like how in the books they're like, they all stayed friends for the rest of their lives, or at least for as long as Frodo could bear to continue to exist on the mortal plane. And and Legolas eventually smuggled Gimli into Valinor in his backpack because I can't separate these two. (laughs) Because, like, you don't quite get that in the movies so much. Like, people watch the movies and joke that, like, Frodo and Legolas never had a conversation and he probably Mm -hmm. doesn't even know his name. But in the books, it's like, they're all best friends, damn it. They They all hang out. Love each other. They have decades to chill. And, you know, people. We'll often be like, oh, you know, in, in Tolkien-esque fantasy, you know, everyone ignores it. Like the Fellowship doesn't last. Like, you know, we always want to make D and D parties, but in the original Fellowship, they all break apart, and it's like, in the original Fellowship, that's only a temporary setback, and then they all mm-hmm. become friends for life.
1: They are ride or die for the next seventy years or 100- yeah. two hundred years. You know,
0: literally, they'll just rock up on Aragorn's palace, like, hey, man, you got anything in the pantry? We got three hobbits rocking up on your back door. It's <laughs> yep. just like yep, every Fourth okay, of
1: July, they have a luau. That's like. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Sauron blowy up day.
0: <laughs> was that the 4th of July?
1: That's that, I am pretty sure that's their equivalent, the day that the Sauron exploded.
0: Oh, I mean, I suppose it would be the equivalent of American Independence Day, but that's yeah. such a funny concept. Oh, my gosh. I feel like we've only scratched the surface. It's almost like people s- spend their entire careers studying this shit or something.
1: It's like someone we know has, in fact, made a whole career out of talking about <laughs> this on YouTube. Hello, future him. <laughs> oh, very clever. Oh, yeah. Good times. Well, thank you so much for for joining me, Red. Now, keeping in mind that this podcast will probably be going out in February, is there anything in particular you like to plug? Do you plan that far ahead?
0: Uh, certainly not. Like okay. sometimes I would, but not this year.
1: <laughs> okay. Well, j- definitely check out her channel. She she is one half of Overly Sarcastic Productions. Uh, you are you are the internet's uh, premier trope talks and let's see, sort of trope, you know myths and legends. Uh, myths reviewer. and legends
0: sometimes. Yeah, occasionally classics. Uh, yeah. You know, stories and the nature of storytelling.
1: Indeed. Big infant on my channel, actually. My very funny story. My my mother said that she noticed, like, a change in my sort of format, my humor, and then she watched watched one of your videos and said, Oh, I get it now. <laughs> I get you. This is when you started watching her videos. And I was like, okay. I mean, don't have to make it that <laughs> obvious. <but." laughs>
0: oh, no. No, I do the same thing. When I need to, like, recharge my brain, when I need to script, I'll just put on one of those five-hour zero-punctuation compilations and just mm-hmm. let that trickle into my brain. And then I have to make sure I don't swear as much in my scripts as
1: Yossi does. <laughs> pun- Gosh, that takes me back. I used to be into Yossi. Anyway, so we'll save this for the <laughs> VIP section. As I was about to say, like, <laughs> if, if anyone is one of my lovely patrons, uh, you can see this and any future episode with our, our lovely, beautiful faces, which is a, mm-hmm. a big bonus. Uh, And you can also join us in the VIP room, which me and Red are about to step into to chat the shit about whatever the fuck we feel like. Uh, So, yeah. So anyway, yeah. So do join us for that. And if not, we'll see you guys in a month. All right. Bye, everybody. Peace and love.